Pastor Grady and Deb are on vacation in Florida. I got a picture from, <laughs> of all people, uh, Mr. Kramer of them uh, sitting, must be having lunch because they had drinks with umbrellas in them. And that would have been, what is today? Today is Sunday, obviously. That would have been like Thursday or something. Um, they were all wearing shorts, by the way. So, uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm not sure how we should pray for our snowbirds that, that go south or, or west. You know, enjoy the weather, I guess, is, is the best way to do it. So, so anyway, Pastor Grady uh, will return Wednesday. Should be back in the office on Thursday. Um, so um, I'm around, obviously. So call, call the office or call me. Is my cell phone being published anywhere that you know of if you need to call? Well, okay, write it down real quick. You ready? 317, you know that area code, 847-7215. 847-7215. Yes, head elder, I just gave everybody my cell phone number. So, um, okay, so call me if you need anything, 847-7215. Okay? One of the things that has been so strange the last two months, and it's, it's been kind of nice, but it's also been very strange, is, is my phone has not been ringing off the hook. <laughs> uh, I, I've been so, and, and that'll happen down the road as I get to know more of you and the congregation here. That, that's, that's just a natural process. So it, it's, it's been nice to not have people texting and bugging you, you know, like 24 seven but it's really kind of funny. You know, I, I used to complain about it. Where's my wife at? I don't think I'm gonna complain about it again. Yeah, uh, because it's, it's almost been like, well, people have forgot about me, you know? So anyway, so, all right. Uh, third Sunday after the Epiphany, let's uh, begin with prayer. The Lord be with you. Almighty and everlasting God, mercifully look upon our infirmities and stretch forth the hand of your majesty to heal and defend us through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So you kind of left me at a quandary with what to do for Bible class. I told you last Sunday that I, well, and the Sunday before, that I really wanted to do something where we had an objective, we weren't going to get stuck in just endless questions or me pontificating. We had something to kind of keep our feet to the fire. And so when I was up at Symposia a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, um, I knew this book was coming out, and it's now been published. I bought the Kindle edition of it, which was only like 8 or $9. Um, and uh, how many of you, raise your hand if you've heard of Reverend Dr. Kurt Marquardt. Great guy. Wonderful guy. I didn't have the privilege to sit and learn his feet. I have many of his uh, books on my shelf. This is a collection of uh, some of his lectures and writings. He was actually working on a book when he died, and he had a couple of chapters left unfinished. And so his students uh, basically compiled all that and put it together. But his intent was to put, and you, you kind of see it in this, this isn't a really bright projector, the saving truth doctrine for, somebody up front read that for me, doctrine for lay people. Uh, Professor Marquardt was very pastoral in his writings, and I'm told by his presence, the way he taught seminarians uh, and, and people in his par various parishes he served as well. This book was written specifically for lay people, for you. You may not know Greek, you may not know Hebrew, you may not have read, um, you know, uh, all uh, three, well, four editions of, of Pieper's works, 
you, you may not have Luther on your shelf, you know, you've got a spattering of different things you've been exposed to, um, but I read this book in like one day when I was up at Symposia, and I was so impressed with it, I thought, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. We're going to do a Bible study now following this book, okay? And if you don't like it, too bad. Um, now, you can buy this book on Amazon. You can, if you're up in Fort Wayne, go to the bookstore. They've got it on the shelf. Actually, all the hard copies were gone by the time I got around to buying one. So I just went ahead and bought uh, uh, the Kindle version of it, which is what my son is running off my laptop. The editor is one of my readers for my dissertation. Any of you know Ken Sherb? Raise your hand, a few of you. Just not many. Yeah, he's not really a northern kingdom guy. I don't know what the right word to say is. Ken was down in Missouri. He's now the missions facilitator. What's his technical term with the, I think he might be either central Illinois district or southern Illinois. I get, I get some of those other districts confused. But, but he's one of my readers for my dissertation. Um, he was, um, oh, for Pete's sake, uh, huh? can't believe I just forgot his name. Who was our synod president before Kishnick? Barry, yeah, Al Barry. Ken Sherb was Al Barry's kind of right-hand man. Matter of fact, the What About pamphlets, if you've ever read those, and they're, they're really great little synopses uh, of doctrine, they're wonderful. Do we have them on display here? We're going to. I'm going to order some because I love to use those. They're very simple. I use those as a catechetical aid for a lot of people, and they're all available online. Ken Sherb actually wrote all those. I don't know if you knew that. Very interesting. Uh, great guy. Ken's a very... Uh, he's, uh, very, he's, he's very smart. I'm really stupid. Some of these guys are so bright. Um, but anyway, go, go on to the next page. Um, so we're going to kind of work our way through this. It's produced, uh, or it, it's published by Luther Academy. You've heard of Luther Academy? Uh, great Preuss connections uh, there as well through the past. Uh, and great. Uh, they sponsored a, uh, I called it a smoke out uh, up, at, up at Symposia. It was basically a big place where people smoke cigars for like six or seven hours. Um, so anyway, so uh, yeah, anyway, you don't need to know what your pastor does when he goes to continuing education conferences. Um, let's see, let's go, is that a quote? Hold on, go forward. Oh yeah, I go back. Let's just read the quote and I'm going to have you jump to page 11 to get us started. Now the nice thing I like about using this for a Bible study is he has a lot of scripture references built into it. And I think it's going to not only answer some various questions that you might have, but it's definitely going to help you learn and look at things in a, in a different light that maybe you haven't before in terms of the wider church and also in terms of what, what and why God has placed us here for, right? So number one, we are here as Advent Lutheran Church to receive his gifts because we're sinners. That's job number one. We've already covered that. Forgiveness of sins, life and salvation that you and I as sinners need. And he bestows that to us. Okay. The second question then when a congregation says, okay, uh, we're looking forward, you know, we've got a new pastor, we, we've given him some ideas of what we want to do and how we want to go. All right, well, why here? Why, you know, on the edge of Zionsville and, you know, Carmel? Now, especially this being our 25th anniversary year, we've started that. You know, what's the next quarter of century look like? Lots of good things the last 25 years. Also, lots of challenges, and that's typical for a parish, okay? Uh, don't get all sad and weepy because this happened or that happened in the last 25 years. Uh, you know, if the Lord brings you to it, he will bring you through it, 
My last treasure at our church always put that on her emails. She'd send out like the financial reports, you know, which you're like, yeah! <laughs> but at the bottom, she always put, if the Lord will bring you to it, he'll bring you through it. And it was a great little kind of gospel in the midst of having to deal with, right, you know, worried about balancing the checkbook. So here we go. This is from uh, Pastor Marquardt. Truth for the formula of Concord is salvatory and churchly. This means that it is neither a matter of individual virtuoso brilliance, nor one of social accommodation, academic nicety, or bureaucratic formality. The truth is, can you read it? God's. So I want you to start with that. Now, I do have a question for you before I read the rest of it. Would it be helpful for me each week to put together a little sheet with questions that you can write answers and take notes on? Would you like that? Would you not like that? Majority rules. All in favor? All opposed? Seeing none opposed except my wife. Okay. So there you go. So that's my next job. So I'll give you a little print off of a sheet and you can do with it what you want. Okay? All right. Let's move on. The truth is God's. It's not your truth. Don't turn into a postmodern. Postmodernism has taught us that truth is subjective. God's Word teaches us that truth is objective. Okay, uh, let's move on. And the church is what? The church is God's. Is Advent Lutheran Church your church? Oh my goodness, people, really? Is Advent Lutheran Church your church? No! <laughs> It is not your church. See, you and I have to wash ourselves of all of this church growth nonsense that has been fed into us. The church is not ours. Well, I helped you. I gave so much money to the capital campaign and now we're paying down our debt. Well, good for you. That's what you're supposed to do. But it's not your church. It's God's. So if a church is God's, then you want to follow what God has said and do what God says. And that, that's kind of, <laughs> that's, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's opposite of what the church says, of what the, the culture says. He creates and cultivates his church by means of his truth. So the first thing that pa Pastor Marquot teaches us is, is how does the church now get cultivated? Raise your hand if you're a farmer, you grew up farming. Okay, so you understand a little bit of this. You, you've got to take care of the soil, you've got to fertilize, you've got to let things, you know, lie for a while, you've got to plant, I mean, you've got to reap, um, that's all through Scripture, same thing, but it's, it's, it's His truth now that is doing that work, and that's the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit at work. The church and the truth belong inseparably together. So when the church does not heed, follow, or listen to God's truth, what's going to happen? You've been following what's going on this last week with the state of New York with abortion. Now abortion is legal up until the time of birth. Now granted, they have some caveats within it, but if you read the fine print, you can pretty much find a way to get an abortion if you want. Okay? Um, it's, 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 I don't know, it, it, it makes me sad. Let's move on. All right, let's go to page 11. Page 11. Let's go, computer geek. Smart kid of mine. He's our computer guy. Now, there's a two four words that are written, one by uh, Matthew Harrison, uh, 
uh, President Harrison, who had Marquardt as a teacher. The second one is written by Ken Sherb. So if you buy the Kindle edition of Read the Book, you can go back and read those. I want to get to I want to get to the good stuff. Let's move here. The next page. Sorry, I said twelve, didn't I? I didn't. I said eleven. We'll start at twelve. Oh, well, what? Kindle is ridiculous. Go back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? What? Where are you going? All right, one more. Stop. <laughs> if I ever appear stressed out at church or in the pulpit, you know why. Here we go. Jesus Christ did not enter human history haphazardly. So this is completely opposite of what culture is teaching us, say, about how the universe came into existence, right? Just boom, or snap, yeah, one big bang or one little bang, however you want to talk about it. Um, this, this was a plan. He came at the end of a long line of divine revelations. And if you're new to Scripture, one of the things you definitely want to study is all of the prophecies and revelations that preceded Jesus. Okay? Uh, you can do that by reading the Bible chronologically, um, or there's a couple of uh, simple books I can reference you to that talk about the promises that God made. But basically, it all started back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Proto-Evangel, the first gospel, that God would send uh, a man, a seed of the woman, who would crush the head of the serpent. So the redemption for Adam and Eve and all of their offspring was going to be an offspring sent by God uh, that was going to come and basically defeat the devil. Okay? And he was going to crush the head of the serpent, even though he would suffer just a heel bite. Okay? Um, so, he came at the end of a long line of divine revelations as the glorious goal and culmination of that line. So everything in the Old Testament is looking forward to Christ. Okay? And, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to steal his thunder. Uh, let's go on. For God had spoken to, quote, and let's read it together, to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 2. That begins Hebrews. Hopefully you've memorized that. That should be a learn by heart verse. I use that with my confirmands, both adult and youth alike. Uh, in the past, God spoke to us through the prophets, but now in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. So who ultimately are we listening to? Jesus. Whose church is it? Oh, you're catching on. This finality of God speaking by his son means much more than a mere up-to-dateness. And here we might, we could use the word contemporary. You know, we could, we could play the part of all of my... You know, I've got a lot of different friends. I've got a lot of church growth friends, emergent friends, and maybe we're not as good of friends as we used to be because we disagree on a few theological matters, but, but this, you know, okay, let me go back. So this finality of God speaking by his son means much more than a mere up-to-dateness, the way a later news bulletin supersedes an earlier one. And people get into that problem in the church. Oh, culture has changed. So the church has to change with it. Right? People are listening to different music these days. So forget about it. Forget about all the old stuff or what I, yeah, okay, you get where I'm going with this. In his son, God shows and gives himself with a radical directness and intimacy. Great word. So that in the son, we see and hear what prophets and kings of old had longed to see but did not. Now, 
Son, I want you to pick up, uh, you're used to this because you've been with me before, Luke 10, 24. Can you pull that up for us? Okay. So in the Son, we see now what the prophets and kings did not get a chance to see. So keep in mind, all these people in the Old Testament, they didn't get a chance to either see Jesus or know what we know of in the, Old, in the New Testament. So when you, you talk about you know, Hebrews, what is it, chapter, it's 11, isn't it? By faith, is that the by faith chapter? No, I think it's by 11. So by faith, Abraham, by faith, Enoch, by faith, and it goes through all of these, you know, Bible story heroes and talks about how they did everything that they did. And how did they do it? They did it by faith. Early service people, this should be ringing a bell. Late service people, just wait for it, okay? All right, uh, so 20, what are we on? 24, right? Uh, oh, that's really small. I can hardly read that. For I tell you, Jesus said, and he's talking to the disciples privately, many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus makes this uh, a pretty important point to the disciples and the apostles, and that's why they were now the witnesses. So when you talk about, you know, Christian apologetics, is the Bible true? Well, duh, how many people witnessed it? They signed their name on it. What's required? Any lawyers in here? Anybody work in the legal field? Really? Oh, and she's, yeah, I, I, I was looking for you. So when you talk about establishing fact, you know, you typically, is two or three witnesses fair? Is that pretty good to establish fact? Okay, yeah. And that's from the Bible too, by the way. Uh, so, you know, two or three witnesses. How many witnesses do you have of, of all that Jesus said and did? Well, you got 12 for sure, right? And keep in mind the word martyr actually means what? Witness. It means a witness. So you got all these witnesses, you know. Uh, so we, got, we have amazing evidence. And I think when we deal with family, friends, or ourselves, if we're doubting, you know, like, like the devil tempted them. I mean, did God really say, you know, well, hey, there's a whole bunch of people who really lived, who signed their name, basically gave everything away. I mean, you, you look at all the, of what the apostles experienced, you know, and to die for a lie, right? I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous, okay? Um, so I'm, I'm going to try and intertwine some apologetic stuff as we go through some of this, because some of you asked about that. Uh, for I tell you, many prophets and kings desire to see what you've seen and not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus wants his disciples to pay attention, to pay attention and to record this, to write this down, to be a witness for all ages uh, for the next generation and for those yet to come, for us. Okay, let's go back to the text. Professor Marquardt. Okay, God's ancient spokesmen, the prophets, were but sinful creatures. And you're going to hear me emphasize this. Sometimes people get so enamored with the great people of faith that went before us that it almost becomes like hero worship, okay? I mean, I read a lot of church fathers, and I, I read a lot of Luther, but let me tell you, they're, they're not all exactly right on everything. Luther made some mistakes on some stuff. Luther, you know, was even, uh, uh, you know, affected by some of his own upbringing, you know, so the way that he deals with the Jews or the Muslims, that comes through in his writings. Now, he's trying to be theological and matter-of-fact, but, but he really almost becomes a little racist, <laughs> okay? 
Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there. We, we can dive into that another time. Um, but so you've got you to read all of that. Same with Augustine, you know, Irenaeus, Chrysostom. I mean, you've got all these church fathers. All of them had good things to say, but all of them at some point wrote, read, said, taught something that was wrong. Okay? And, and that's the one thing now. That's why God has given you Scripture as well. Okay? I guarantee you at some point, well, I already made one mistake. I think I confessed that a couple weeks ago in my sermon. I, I will make mistakes. I'm not perfect. I will say something wrong. I will forget something. I might have something that I still need to learn. And what are you supposed to do as God's people, His church? You're supposed to listen critically. Do you have the power and authority to listen critically to what, has been, what is being given to you? Yeah. Yeah. And if I do something wrong, you also have an obligation to what? Call me on it. You got it? So there's, a, there's another side, and I've kind of dealt with this coming from Nebraska, because we had a bunch of pastors that they were teaching that the lay people cannot contradict a pastor. And I thought, oh boy, <laughs> that's, that's bad. That's bad. Now, you want to be respectful about it, of course, as you would with a teacher or a professor, um, and not be mean-spirited, but hey, you know, going to make mistakes, okay? All right. So God's ancient spokesmen, the prophets, were but sinful creatures who did not know the divine mysteries at first hand. They didn't see these things. They didn't know what was to come, which, which in some ways I think makes their faith that much more marvelous and even found them puzzling. And let's go to 1 Peter 1 verse 10. And what's the rest of it? 10 to what? 10 to 12? Okay, here we go. And if somebody in the front row wants to read nice and loud, no, I'll do it. I got the mic. Okay. Nope, we don't want to spell check the Bible. Let's just read it. Uh, I don't think it was chapter 10. I don't think there is a 1 Peter chapter 10. Okay, is this it? 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So th this is great. This is all, this is, this is for you. Repeat after me, for you. The purpose of Scripture and God's gifts specifically are for you. There's even some amongst us in the Missouri Synod who teach that church is about somehow mysteriously and magically connecting you to what's going on in heaven. And while that's partially true, that's not the main intent. The main intent is God giving you the gifts you need now, right? He wants to preserve you in the faith. He wants to encourage you. He wants to nourish you. He wants you to be, you know, a light, a city set on the hill. Jesus does talk that way. So, so there is kind of evangelism that is carefully balanced with all this other stuff, okay? We should talk about good works, what you do for your neighbor. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, because you hadn't been born yet when it was prophesied about, uh, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but... Now, that's a different way of thinking. What we do now as Advent Lutheran Church should really serve who? Those yet to come. 
But just pause and think about that. If you think that I'm going to church just for myself or this current generation, I would say from Scripture you're not looking at the whole picture. What's to come? Now, we don't know what's to come, right? I mean, Jesus could return later today or tomorrow, right? And, and oh, yeah, Scripture tells us, you know, well, that which, you know, uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, and Cephas tore out of the ground, and, and all this other stuff, right? So I've been getting kind of email updates from my last parish, and the Board of Elders actually called me this last week because they've, they gave the district president their list that they wanted uh, information. They wanted the PIFs and the sets for the pastors back on December 12th. And it had been like six weeks. And the district president promised he would get him the information, you know, within a week and a half. And so it's been six weeks. And they're, they're, I don't know why they thought I could do something about it. But I was somebody they had a phone number to. And so I just let them kind of vent. So here I am on speaker phone, for, you know, speakerphone with seven or eight elders. And, you know, and I, and, and I kind of used, and wait for it, late service people, but wait for the Lord. Right? Um, don't just assume negative things. I mean, you know, there might be things you have to deal with, but, you know, the, the Lord will provide in some way, shape, or form. But, but the Spirit of Christ in them, when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So everything is tied to what? Your reality, your future is tied to who? What or who? He didn't say the resurrection of Christ. How were your sins paid for? How were you redeemed? Were you redeemed by his resurrection? You're redeemed not with gold or silver, with his holy, precious blood. Can we get one of these in the sanctuary at some point? Can I just be bold and I'm just going to leave that alone? But I think a crucifix is a wonderful teaching tool. And, and as I've been teaching the preschoolers now for a while, you know, I'm kind of looking around for a cross to point to. <laughs> so it's really simple. It doesn't have to be big and gigantic and everything, but, but it's really simple. Predict the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. So yeah, we talk about the resurrection. So I just tell people, you should have two crosses. You can have an empty cross, but have a crucifix as well. Okay? Because this is what we need to focus on. We preach Christ. Oh, he didn't say resurrected, did he? Hmm. That's an argument from silence, though. Moving on before anybody calls me on that. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, so future tense, purpose of everything we are to do now for our children, um, our community, our family. You know, as my grandma just died here, you know, a couple weeks ago, I get a text message yesterday from my dad that my other uncle, crazy, crazy uncle, um, you know, is now, my grandpa had, he didn't own his own land and farm until he was like 55 years old, right, which is, which is typical. Uh, so, I mean, worked his, worked his tail off. And his pride and joy was 40 acres of river ground um, up outside of LaSalle, Minnesota. And, you know, the river runs through it. It's kind of a Minnesota thing as well. Uh, beautiful. Pheasants, duck, geese, deer. It's where Grandpa would go hunting. Um, just beautiful. And uh, ever since my, you know, in Minnesota, stuff gets divided up kind of ahead of time. That's a long story. The lawyer here could help us explain that maybe. Um, but... Uh, uncle wouldn't allow any of the rest of the family on the land. And now that grandma died, what's the first thing he does? A week later, what does he do? Oh, by the way, I'm selling the 40 acres of river ground. So my dad texts me, hey, we've got the first right of refusal. Your mom, you know, and your uncle, um, and, you know, if we want to buy it, we can. So whatever he made the deal for, he's going to sell it to some hunters. 
And of course, none of us live up there anymore, right? So there's like part of me was like, yeah, I'll sell a motorcycle and give you a down payment on the land. But then I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if we'll be back up there very often. Because my other uncle has talked about moving. You know how this works. Those of you that have had all of these things in your family, and you would love to have your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids experience all the Christmases and Thanksgivings and, and, and hunting or whatever it is, farming, but times change, don't they? And so, as I told my brother and my dad, we just have to be careful we don't let this turn into idolatry. If there's other parts of the family that kind of want to keep it, then we should help them. But if not, maybe we need to let it go. And that's tough. That's tough. Um, so how do we serve the next generation, right? My boys will never have my childhood as much as I might want them to have it. They won't have it. I've had to come to terms with that many years ago. They won't have the same experiences that I've had. But I can tell you that maybe sinfully sometimes I've tried to force that on them in various ways. <laughs> and it hasn't worked very well. Okay. Oh, you all know about that too. Who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. So there's the work of the Holy Spirit again. Um, sent from heaven. So the Spirit proceeds as we confess in the Nicene Creed. And one of the reasons we use it every divine service when we have the sacrament of the altar, uh, which should be every divine service, from the Father and the Son. Uh, sent from heaven things into which... Angels don't know everything. Don't worship angels. And your relatives, when they die, don't become angels either. Neither will you. They're created beings. Okay? Uh, they're separate. Uh, they're different. But, but angels are just there. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's various uh, names. Angeloi, uh, uh, Malachi, my messenger, uh, from which our oldest son is named, um, prophet Malachi. Uh, angels long to look. They want to learn more about these things. So even as angels want to learn more about God's plan of salvation, which implies now that they also are learning, what should that mean for you? What should you long to look into and learn more about? Yeah. Some people come and tell me, oh, you know, I'm just not learning anything from church or, or Bible class or Sunday school, you know, or, you know, we have a little bit of talk about that, Really? I mean, I, I've forgotten more than I've learned. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And I mean, I think the love for learning, I try to instill that in our children as well. There's, there's just so much. And the more I learn, the more I realize how much I don't know. And I just, you know, I hope I live to a really long age and I hope my mind stays good for a long time, right? Uh, so I can learn more. Okay, let's go back to the text. Oh, man, we only got nine minutes. Ooh. Okay, uh, next page. They simply repeated faithfully what God told them. So what was the job of the prophets? Were they making up new things? Were they trying to appeal to the culture? Never. Actually, it was, actually, it was always against the culture. So we're starting in our Wednesday morning Bible study. Come join us if you want, 9.30-11. We just started the book of Isaiah, which, which I didn't know until we showed up at 9.30. And uh, we had to decide what to study. I said, let's do Isaiah. So, okay, cold turkey Isaiah. But it was really good. We went through the first chapter. Um, and I had Lutheran study Bible, so I had some good cheat notes. Um, but uh, so now I got to bone up, uh, and Pastor Grady will as well, and that'll be good. Uh, but th their job was to repeat faithfully what God told them. That was their job. So what's our job? What's our job as a church? To repeat, right? Right? 
So uh, when the kids were little, you know, they'd always uh, like to play the game. You know what game little kids like to play? Say something. Who know? Say something else. Monopoly. They like repeat what you say, right? And it like keeps going. Okay, uh, you're not you're not catching on very quick, but that's okay. So, so you sit there and it gets really annoying because what do what do they do? They repeat everything you say. You know, and so you keep going, oh my goodness, right? So if you have little kids at home, you know what this is like. But that's the job of the prophets. And that, I would uh, submit to you, is also the job of the church. To repeat now what God has said. Not to try and come up with new stuff, but to repeat what God has said. Which also means pay attention to those that have repeated it as well. Okay, so scripture alone, that's our, uh, that's our formal principle. Okay, we don't add to scripture alone the tradition of the church as Roman Catholicism does, but we still also study and respect the tradition of the church. So even like the Apocrypha, there's been a new translation of the Apocrypha. You know what the Apocrypha is? Books that are not Holy Scripture. They were written during the intertestamental period. So from roughly, oh, don't quote me on this, like, like 400 BC maybe, four or 500 up until about the time of Christ, the New Testament. Um, and some of them are really good, you know, so you got the, the, the history, um, there's some historical books that are in there um, that, that talks about, you know, a Jewish family in, uh, you know, around Jerusalem, revolts against the Romans, da, 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 da. Luther suggested that even those should still be read to people in the divine service. Now, if we did that today, we'd get strung up on a pole, right? And I, I've never done that as a pastor. I've never even actually done really, I've read it myself, but I've really studied it. Um, but... Uh, the emphasis, I would say, simply needs to be this, repeat what God told them, which is where? The 66 books of the Bible, right? Um, and, and he's going to get into now exactly what that means. Let me move on. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I got a little ahead of myself. It is very different with the son who does not merely pass on words at second hand. He is himself God. The eternal word, John 1 verse 1, unlike mere prophets, he has the spirit Without limit, John 3, verse 34, okay? Um, he speaks from personal knowledge and with absolute authority, for he alone came from heaven. So Jesus is so much more than some of you older people might remember the old E.F. Hutton commercials. You know, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Um, how much more should we pay attention to what Jesus says? What the Son has come to impart to us, however, does not consist of lessons in cosmic engineering, a sort of theosophy, uh, so it'd be a study now of, of wisdom, stripped of its mumbo-jumbo. His knowledge, of course, embraces the ultimate secrets of our created universe's innermost recesses. That's a really big sentence. Yet all this pales into insignificance before something infinitely more sublime. And pay attention to this. Jesus makes known to us the God whom no one else has seen, but with whom he shares Godhead. And let's go to John 1.18 and John 6.46 to just get these passages in our mind. John 1.18, are we there? Okay, and John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. Have you seen him? <laughs> okay, now I mean I've talked to people who've claimed they've seen God. And then I, I, just, I just, I take them back to Scripture and I say, perhaps it wasn't God that you saw. 
Fair question? Why? Because what does Scripture tell us? No one's ever seen God. What about Moses? Did Moses see God face to face? <laughs> nope. God just showed Moses his... <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny when you think about it. But, and I think God does have a sense of humor. Um, I really think he does. God created humor, right? Wine doth make a man's heart happy, so go enjoy a bottle of wine later this afternoon while you're watching the crazy Pro Bowl. I don't know why they do that anymore anyway, but um, okay. Uh, so where is that? So no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Okay? So who's at the Father's side? Jesus. Jesus is the one who's made him known. So if you want to know God, the one true God, who do you need to know first? Jesus. So this is why Scripture says, no one, uh, Jesus says, no one can come to the Father but by me. This is why we have issues with the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and others who claim that you can get to God by other ways, or by other means, or by other people. Okay, and what was our other passage? 646, is that right? Okay, John 6, verse 46. Oh, we're almost out of time. We've got three minutes. Uh, okay, uh, let's go back. Jesus said, 45, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. So now you hear John's emphasis, and of course, John's gospel, uh, which we understand to be one of the latter or later gospels, is written specifically against the Gnostics, okay? So the Greek word for, for, for knowledge is gnosis. So uh, Gnostics were those who claimed that you could attain to the divine by doing what? By your knowledge, right? By, by rationally... Uh, you know, thinking, um, all that sort of thing, okay? And John debunks all that. He says, you want to know God, you want to know about the divine, you'd know about Jesus, okay? And I believe there's a lot of people out searching for God. I think there's a lot of people searching for various things in their life. But the one thing that can definitely help them, the one thing that you can help with your friends and relatives is tell them about or take them to who? Jesus. And I'll let you just kind of think about that. Okay? Because I, I can't begin to tell you how to do that. I don't know your friends. I don't know the situation. And nor am I going to tell you automatically just to bring them to church because that may not always work in that situation. You know your friends. You know, when it's time to invite them to come sit with you in the divine service or to Bible class, maybe you just need to sit and read scripture with them. Maybe you need to pray with them. Okay? I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways you can go about doing, quote, evangelism, which is really just sharing the gospel, right? I mean, obviously, our biggest evangelistic task or the biggest missionary work we do as God's church is what we do in the divine service. So where his word is preached, taught, and his sacraments rightly administered. Okay, it took me a while to understand that as a young pastor. Spun my wheels doing a lot of crazy, silly, time-consuming things. Okay, let's go back to the text real quick. Oh, one minute. That clock has got to be fast because my watch has got one minute. <laughs> Um, okay, the word for making known or explaining used in St. John 1.18 is the one from which we get our English words exegete and exegesis. Jesus the God-man, this is a great sentence, 
is the authentic exegete of God on earth, attested at his transfiguration not only by Moses and Elijah, the representatives of the law and the prophets, but also by God the Father's own command, listen to him. Matthew 17, verse 5. Jesus, therefore, is not simply one topic among others in the Bible. As the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, he is, in fact, the theme and content of this holy book from beginning to end. Catch that? Beginning to end. You want to learn more about Scripture? You learn more about Jesus. All the prophets testify about him, Acts 10, verse 43. The Holy Scriptures testify to Jesus, John 5, verse 14 39. This is where Jesus basically puts his hand on all the scrolls that are there uh, at the time, and he says, these Scriptures testify to... Oh, how to increase our church budget? <laughs> how to fill in the blank? They testify about me. So anytime you read Scripture, you should always ask, and you'll hear me say this, it should be a Where's Waldo type of experience. You ever done the Where's Waldo thing, tried to find the little crazy guy with the red and white? That's what you should do when you read your Bible. Never ask, what does this scripture passage say to me? Okay? Beth Moore does some good stuff. If you're into a Beth Moore Bible study, be careful. Okay? Because the ultimate question is, where is Jesus? Where is he? What's he doing? What's he teaching about me? Or what's he, what's he doing for me? What's he teaching me? And, and now learning more about Jesus, these scriptures are therefore able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is why, and I'm going to finish up here, St. Paul resolved to know nothing in his missionary labor. You want to know what, what St. Paul's mission statement was that he put on all of his business cards that he handed out? Or he put up on the PowerPoint projector when he was doing home service to all the congregations? Let's see what it is. Jesus, Christ, and Him crucified. Paul's faithful pupil, Martin Luther, echoed this sentiment 1,500 years later, and may we echo it 2,000 years later here at Advent. Take Christ out of the Scriptures, and what will you find left in them? Let's stop there. Please stand. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.